Do you remember those choose-your-own-adventure books? Some of you, some of you are about my age, and a couple of you are nodding, yeah, that you, you had those. Those were my favorite things. You remember these things? They were awesome. I love those. When I was in grade school, these were the coolest books on the shelf. Here's how this worked. If you've never seen them, it's a story that presented you with a narrative that, uh, to, with choices. that You could make a choice as you worked through the story. Um, it'd lead up to some dramatic moment, and then you'd have to choose. It's like, okay, if you want to run, turn to page 9. If you want to fight, turn to page 12. You know, if you want to try to talk it out, turn to page 14. And you'd do that. And if you were like me, you'd stick your finger in it because if you turn the page, oh, you die. Okay, I want to go back. I want to, want to redo that one. Um, <laughs> I love those books. But there was one thing that drove me nuts about them. One, I love these, but, but the thing that drove me crazy was that there would be times that I would be reading it and they would present these three options. And none of them are what I would choose to do if I were in the same situation. And what I would choose to do was clearly the right choice. And I'm like, oh, I got to do this thing that doesn't really fit what I would do if I were in that exact thing. Sometimes the pathway that we would want to take is different from everyone else. What do you do in that situation? I mean, what, what you want to do, let's just pretend it's not morally wrong. It's not a bad pathway. It's just different. What do you do then? Is, is that even okay? My answer to that is, it depends. It depends. It really does depend on how God has wired you up to worship and serve Him. We're going to talk about that today. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here today in the second week of our Wired series. Uh, if you're new here at Chapel Rock, I'd love to meet you when we're done. I'll be down here. Please come down and say hi. My name's Casey. I'd love to learn yours. If you're watching us online, thanks for doing that. If you've had trouble the last couple weeks, uh, we had some... Uh, issues with our internet connection, like street level. It's not in the building, it's, it's, it's them, not us. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that, but hopefully it's better today. And if you're local to Indy, we'd love to have you join us on site. Take a second, fill out your online connection card. You can give that way too. And uh, if you're here in the room and you haven't filled out your connection card, uh, please do that while during the message and just leave that in the seat next to you and we'll pick those up later. Um, like I said, we're continuing our series uh, called Wired. This content is what's going to become our membership class in the future. So at the end of the message next Sunday, I'm going to invite any of you here who've been here all three weeks and who have been immersed, who've been baptized, and if you've never placed your membership, if you've been here all three weeks, you can come forward and become a member. This, is, this content is what's going to become our membership class. So if you've never done that before, and you're here all three weeks, and, and, and you want to become a member, uh, if you've already been immersed, and, and you're living a Christian life, then uh, we would invite you at the end of the message next Sunday uh, to come forward and do that. And, and we think that membership has value here, okay? Because what it is, it's two things. It's a commitment to our vision, to see the whole community, whole in Christ, and, and it's a commitment then to relationship with Chapel Rock, that, that you're... you're you know, going to participate in the life of the church through worship and service and being in a group and willingly following the leadership of our elders. That's what membership is, and we think it has value. Uh, it's not just having your name on a list. It's, it's really being part of the team. And so if that's where you're at, if that's the stage God has you in, um, hang on until next Sunday. If you've already been immersed and you want to join, if you're here all three weeks, uh, if you didn't catch last week, get caught up. It's on the website. Uh, you can do that. Uh, Shufflerock.org slash media, I think, is where you go for those. Um, 
This series is designed to help you live out the life of membership here at Chapel Rock. And the way we're helping you do that is to learn how you're wired by God to worship and serve Him. He's hardwired it right in you. He's built it right in. Every believer who's ever crossed the horizon of this world has, has a, a unique and completely distinct to them spiritual personality and temperament and gifts and all those things. There's only one you. You, you have to be you. God already has an Andy Stanley. You don't need to be Andy Stanley. God already has a Craig Groeschel. You don't need to be Craig Groeschel. Your biceps aren't that big anyway. Um, there's only one you. You need to be you. Listen, the code that God has hardwired into us helps us align with established types, and sometimes those types match up with certain you know, sets and patterns of gifts, but you are unique. We believe that each of us has a primary temperament and a primary gift, maybe even a secondary or tertiary. That's the way God made us. It's the way we're wired. And, and while there are established pathways for each temperament that have been developed at least over 2,000 years and really going back far longer than that, th there are these normative patterns to serve the Lord that, um, you know, that are, are relative to our unique spiritual gift. And there's one thing, though, in all that that we have to realize. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to the Christian faith. That doesn't exist. There, there's, there's no, like, this is the only... Do you realize how much harm has been done to the church over the last 2,000 years? How many churches have split because somebody said, this is the only way to follow Jesus, that's it. It's this little narrow box, and anything outside this box, it doesn't fit. A lot of harm has been done when the reality is God has created, God has designed this, this vast diversity of, of experiences and expressions and temperaments and gifts to be part of his body. See, the, the, there's, there, there's more than, now Jesus is the way, he's the, only, he's the way to salvation, but there's more than one way to express your relationship with him. See, this idea that, oh, you got to just do it this way, it doesn't take into account our big idea this morning. Here's our big idea. The pathway that Jesus has wired you to take will be the most spiritually fulfilling means to find wholeness in Christ. The way that God has wired you up will be ultimately the most fulfilling thing you're going to experience in following Jesus. So what I want to do today is introduce you to this idea of what your spiritual temperament is. We'll talk about how that relates to your gifts, and finally we'll wrap up by talking about what all those things mean together. Here, here's the first idea I want to put in front of you this morning. You were wired to worship. You were wired to worship. You have this thing called a spiritual temperament. And we'll, I'll define more what that means in a little bit, but, but I think what it would help to do, before we even define it, is to just describe it, to paint a picture, to help you understand what it is we're talking about. Um, what I want to do today is a thought experiment. Um, Einstein did these. He would imagine these scenarios. This is not going to be nearly as intellectual as his, uh, but we're going to do a thought experiment this morning. And what I want you to do is to imagine that all the famous people from the Bible— that, we, that we, all the people we know about, all the stories that their kids learn in children's church, were all alive at the same time, okay? So I want you to imagine that all the famous people from the Bible are alive at the same time, and they all want to start a church, 
All right, that's, that's the thought experiment. All the, all the Bible stories that you heard as a kid growing up, uh, if you grew up like I did in the church, then, then they're all live right now, and they're all in a room, and they're all, you know, let's just imagine they're sitting right down here, right down front, and they're going to start a church, and, and they have this discussion. What would that be like? Maybe something like this. King David's there. He says, guys, we got to crank this up a notch. I mean, I'm about to fall asleep here. Do you guys even know what, how to, what it means to worship God? Come on. Do you even love God? <laughs> And his son Solomon pipes in and says, Dad, chill out. We, we got to understand the God we worship by studying him and studying his word and the world he created. And, and then Abraham jumps in and he says, now you boys listen up. We need to get back to our roots. We need to stay in these proven ways. And then out of nowhere, Ezekiel jumps in. And he's like, yeah, but I'd take that a step further. We need to do it. And we need to appreciate the awe and majesty of God. We need to be overcome with his power. John the Baptist thunders, I've heard enough, he says. All this is a giant distraction. It's a waste of money. We need to be still before the Lord. And then a hush falls as the oldest guy in the room, Adam, speaks up. He says, you're right, John. We're sitting here in a sanctuary expecting God to come to us. When we need to go out to him and see him in his creation. We need to climb mountains and swim rivers and farm fields and, and listen to the birds. And then Mary, Martha's sister, speaks up. She says, guys, I like a lot of what you said, but we need to check our hearts. I mean, let's just climb up in God's lap and just li listen and love him. And Mary's boldness encourages Tabitha, you remember her Dorcas from Acts chapter 9. She speaks up, she says, yeah, that's more like it, but we can't just stop there. We've got to express our love for God by loving other people. I mean, when's the last time any of you served at the soup kitchen or bought a coat for a cold little kid? Everyone's really frustrated. And they're all kind of sitting there and they're bickering. And finally, one of them says, hey, Elijah. You haven't said anything yet. What do you think? He goes, you don't want to know. <laughs> and they go, no, really, what do you think? He said, fine, just remember, you ask for it. With all due respect, I think this whole conversation is a waste of time. There's injustices and innocent people being abused, and nobody's fighting for the needy or feeding the hungry or running for office because you're all sitting here arguing about church. That's what I think. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> so who's right? I mean, a lot of perspectives, a lot of possibilities, a lot of truth in those statements. Whose vision of worship should prevail and be the predominant one on a regular basis? Here's my answer. Yes. Yes. Because you just saw an illustration of what author Gary Thomas calls sacred pathways. This is what we're going to lean into. The ideas in this book have been so incredibly foundational and freeing for me. It's just, it's been such a huge blessing. I've just thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, and so we're going to really lean into these ideas today. Basically what Thomas does is identify kind of nine styles of relating to God. Nine styles of worshiping him. He calls them temperaments. Um, and, and so, it, listen, his idea here is that there are kind of nine pathways by which we worship and discover and experience God, and you are wired by God to have one. So is everyone else who's ever lived, okay? So I will tell you, for, for those of you who are readers, uh, Al Michael has about 10 copies of these. 
So if you're fast and you find him, it's like, you know, where in the world is Al Michael kind of thing today at Chapel Rock. So if you want one of these, he's got about 10 copies if you want the book. We also have uh, today kind of an executive summary of it. It looks like this. It's out near the wired kiosk in the lobby. So this is this boiled down into about 15 pages. Um, someone else did this. It wasn't Thomas. It was just them reflecting on his work. But it's a great summary. This is designed to complement the spiritual gifts uh, temperament and, uh, and the spiritual gifts and temperament stuff we have on our website, chapelrock.org slash wired. You can take those. This is also available for download. So if you're a digital person like me and just want to have it on your iPad or whatever, you can go to chapelrock.org slash wired and download it. Okay, there's a digital copy there for you too. So what I want to do, just to describe each one of these nine things, is kind of walk back through that story we just told, that thought experiment, and we'll identify our cast of characters and, and kind of inform you about who they are, okay? So first, we'll talk about David. David is the enthusiast. The enthusiast is, and by the way, if you're a note taker, we're going to move pretty quick through these. You don't have time to probably write it all down, so either snap a picture with your camera or just get the person and the, the temperament, and then you can fill in the rest later, okay? Um, David's the enthusiast. The enthusiast is someone who needs and desires excitement and joy and celebration in worship, okay? So the enth- David would have come to Chapel Rock today and been like, yes. With the choir, yes. And the band, yeah. And by now, he's out. He's done. Like, okay, fine. You know, he's kind of waiting for the invitation song so we can sing again. That's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's David. Solomon is the intellectual. These are people who know and find God deeply through the life of the mind. Biblical truth, concepts, ideas, Bible study, Greek and Hebrew, in case you're wondering. When I took the test, that came, I mean, I knew that was going to happen, but that, that's the way. C.S. Lewis was that way. C.S. Lewis is, is, is wired up like that. All right, the next one is uh, Abraham. He's the traditionalist. These are people who find deep meaning in connecting with God as they participate in symbols and rituals that have have held meaning for a long time, all right? If you're a traditionalist, probably, I don't know this, but probably your favorite part of church every Sunday is communion, you know? And it drives you nuts when we rearrange the order of service. (laughs) Man, you know? Don't point. That's not nice. Um... (laughs) Ezekiel is an example of what Gary Thomas calls the sensate. I really wish he would have picked a different word because in older English expressions, sensate is usually a, a slam on someone who's kind of carnal, um, not really very spiritual. Uh, sensory, sensorial, it might have been better choices, but that's the word he used. That's what's in the book, so that's what we're going to go with. But these are people for whom their physical exp- senses are, are the pathways by which they experience God. Sensates tend to like high church. Like Catholic, Episcopalian, with, where they, you know, the, the, the theater of it and the robes and the incense and the choirs, and the, they tend to gravitate toward that. Um, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are Eastern Orthodox. Grew up Baptist. How do, how do, you, how do you do that? I don't even know, but um, they're, I think they're, that this is their temperament. They just they resonate with that. They experience God, and that's okay. It's good. Okay, that, that's, that's a good thing. Um, John the Baptist is the ascetic. These are people drawn to monastic life or religious orders that emphasize simplicity in life. The, these are folks that value silence. We're going to get rid of all the clutter so that Jesus can be the only thing to focus on. The ascetics are, are, are the Christians who like to take prayer retreats. Like they go off by themselves in a little cabin in the mountains and like, what'd you do? I prayed. 
And that, that, I, I guess I, read, I ate a little bit. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, just that's it. That's, that's their thing. Adam is the naturalist. These are people who discover and experience God through nature. All right? These are Christians who, who worship best when they get out of a building. They breathe the fresh air. They study a leaf. They walk through the woods. They climb a mountain. I will tell a lot of men who are hunters probably have this as their temperament. They, they just, that's where, they, that's kind of their, their temple <laughs> is the woods. Um, a great example, uh, one of my favorite people, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, I think, was this way. I think this was him. I mean, one of his characters was a talking tree, for crying out loud. Um, I think he was probably that. Uh, Mary, uh, the sister of Martha, is the contemplative. These are people that just want to sit at Jesus' feet and gaze into his eyes and love him. This is usually a private, personal experience. They're drawn to ideas of Jesus as the bridegroom, as the lover of our soul. Um, there's usually some mysticism that's kind of connected with that. Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas from Acts chapter 9, is the caregiver. These are people who, who see and experience and worship God as they serve others, especially the most needy. These are the Christians who start soup kitchens and food pantries. That's, just, that's their temperament. That's why they do that. A great modern example, of course, would be Mother Teresa. She's kind of the paragon of that temperament. And then finally, Elijah is the activist. These are people who tend to be confrontational. They're passionate about working for, I want you to catch this, justice and evangelism. It's both. They have to go together. And, and so the activist, a true activist in, in, this, in this sense that we're talking about today, is really passionate about both. And I think what happens is people get wound up about one or wound up about the other, and they neglect the other half of it, and it just gets out of balance. It gets all out of whack. And so... Um, you know, a great example would be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Best example I know of this temperament. Because he was passionate about both. And by the way, go, go reread, if you haven't ever done it, read. If, if you've read it, reread Letter from a Birmingham Jail. You know what it is? It's the gospel as applied to the way that the church relates to one another in its expressions of diversity with different ethnicities and races. That's what it is. I mean, he's just reminding his white pastor friends about the gospel. And what it means that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. It's, it's both. It's, it holds on to both ideas, okay? So here's what all this means. Listen to me. If you've ever walked out of church and thought, that was a waste of time, I will guarantee you that someone else walked out a different door and thought, that was the greatest Sunday ever. You're just wired up different. It's okay. That's the way God made you. That's, why, that's, one, that's one of the things I love about variety. That's why we change it up every now and then. Sorry, traditionalists. <laughs> Listen, your temperament will radically shape the way you connect with various worship elements and practices. Now, some of you, I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of you right now are having a, oh, that's why that's so cool moment, or, oh, that's why that's so annoying to me every Sunday. For those of you who are either a caregiver or an activist, uh, you've got a chance to put that temperament into practice real soon. Uh, Larry and Debbie McLeod are organizing a trip to do disaster relief for Hurricane Florence uh, with Samaritan's Purse. Um, Debbie's going to be right down here at the end of our, our service today. She's got some information for you. They're putting together two teams to head out east uh, to do disaster relief. Uh, there's a trip going September 23 to 29, 
and they need eight men and two women. That, those are the numbers given to us by Samaritan's Purse, okay? And then they're going back again October 7 through 13, and they need seven men and three women. The co- your cost is just the travel to get there. Once you're there, they take care of you. I've been on a Samaritan's Purse trip. They do it right. They, they know what they're doing. Um, and so uh, if, if, you're interested, if you're an activist or you're a caregiver and you got, you're able to get time off or whatever, rearrange stuff, it's a powerful opportunity to put that into practice. The application for all of us, though, today is for all of us to, to utilize the knowledge of our temperament to pursue wholeness. Here's what I mean. If you are an ascetic and you're not fasting regularly, you're not experiencing the wholeness that God has for you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stick your hands up, okay, and, and do this. If you've already taken our quiz, the, the, te- the assessment online, chaparock.org slash wired, they're there, they're at the paper copies out there. Some of you may have gotten that. And you may already be doing this, but I will tell you that if you're not regularly fasting, if it's not part of your spiritual devotional life, you're missing out on something that God has wired you up to do. You know? In the same way, if, if you're an intellectual... And you're not regularly spending time in, in not just reading the Bible, but reading other study resources around it, like going and getting the IVP Bible background commentaries and reading the cultural background of Scripture. Like, oh, that's why Jesus said that right there, because of this other thing that's happened you know, in that town 400 years earlier. If, if you're not doing some of that extra study beyond just reading Scripture, you're missing out on, on everything that God has for you. You know, if you're, if you're a caregiver and you're not volunteering at, at Chapel Rock's food pantry or at a soup kitchen or something like that, you're missing out on everything that God has give, is wired you up to do. You're, you're missing out on some, some of it at least. Now, listen to me. This does not mean that intellectuals shouldn't fast or that ascetics shouldn't read the Bible. It just shapes how you do it. Right? This does not mean that a naturalist temperament shouldn't regularly spend time in the Word. They just need to go outside. Real? I'm not, I'm not really, I, yeah, I said it lightly, but I'm serious. If, if that's the way you're wired up, if, if you take the assessment and yours comes up naturalist, like, oh yeah, you know, then I would encourage, just have your devotions outside. Literally walk out of your house, stand under the sky that God created, and interact with Him. Pray outside. Read your Bible outside. Okay? If you're, if you're an intellectual, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't fast. Just don't do it right before you study. Because in, I'm, I know this from experience. I, I, I don't want any distractions. Leave me alone. I, I shut my door and I put a sign on it. I'm not even kidding. In our office, available at 4 p.m. Like, I am, I'm, in, I'm in the thing, man. I have two 27-inch monitors and my computer and Logos Bible software. and I'm, I'm in it. Like, just leave me alone. I've got my little nest and I'm going to dig in. This shapes the way that you interact with this. Listen to me. What I'm telling you is that the way that you practice the holy habits that we talked about last week should be shaped by your temperament. Okay, if you want some more suggestions, again, there's there's great suggestions in here. So pick this up on on your way out. Download it from our website if you want a digital copy or if if we run low on these or something. Um, There's more suggestions in there about how to do that. But that's only half of how you're wired up. Here's the other half. You're not only are you wired to worship, you're wired to serve. You're wired to serve. God has given you a gift or gifts that he has hardwired into you to use in service to him. Now, there are several passages in the Bible that describe spiritual gifts. The big three are Ephesians, I appreciate the one that Dave read earlier uh, from 1 Peter, but Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and Romans 12. 
Now, let me pause right there and say, in a group this size, it's possible that somebody is not familiar with this concept. Like spiritual gift, I've never heard that term. I don't know what you're talking about. So let me back up a little bit and kind of frame this for us today. When you become a Christian, when you respond to God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what the Bible says he did, that, that his tomb is empty and he rose again on the third day, that when you believe that he died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again on the third day, and you respond to that offer in faith, when you become a Christian, when you're baptized, God gives you his spirit to dwell within you. This is, this is the fulfillment of the promise that Peter made on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Peter gets up, preaches this, this gospel sermon, first gospel sermon ever, right? And he says, you know, he tells people, like, you killed God, and they're like, ah, what do we do? And he, they, he, this is what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, nobody gets off the hook, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, look at that word, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, intellectuals, you're about to get real happy right now, okay? In the original Greek language, there are three voices that verbs get used in. The active voice means I do it, okay? The passive voice means it's done to me. In fact, you'll notice be baptized is passive. Being baptized is not something you do. It's done to you. You're the passive participant in it. There's also something called the middle voice. And, and the middle voice, it's a little, it's a little flexible. It, sometimes you can mean I do it to myself, uh, but it means I'm, I'm engaged in this, I'm part of it, but it's not just me, okay? That's the voice of the word translated receive. What Peter is saying here is you, you partner with God to take into yourself the Holy Spirit. He comes into you. That you, you like the video we saw earlier about opening up that gift. <laughs> that you partner with him and he enters into your life. This is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to his disciples about the Spirit in John 14, 17. Look at this. In John 14, 17, it says this. The world cannot accept him. This is Jesus' address on the night before he was crucified, okay? Um, so this is Last Supper, this is that time. The world cannot accept him, the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, the Spirit, for he lives with you. When did that happen? in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. This is deeply Trinitarian. Jesus is affirming the doctrine of the Trinity here when he says he lives with you because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all one. <laughs> this is the same gospel where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So when he says he, will be, he lives with you, he's actually talking about himself, but he's talking about his presence as the, the one triune Godhead who is among them, all right? He lives with you, but look at this, and will be in you. This is the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. I will place myself, my spirit, in you. So when you become a Christian, God puts his spirit in you. When the spirit comes in, it's like Christmas. He comes with gifts. <laughs> when Jesus comes into your life, when the Holy Spirit enters into you, he brings a gift or gifts with him. Not everybody gets the same number or amount or kind. But you are not given them to hoard, but to use. I want you to look, this is one of the primary passages on spiritual gifts. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Look at this. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, 
You've got an arm, you've got a leg, you've got fingers, you've got toes, okay? And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, and he doesn't mean telling the future, he means speaking the revelation of God. It's really more a preaching gift than a future-telling gift. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then to give generously, just like Dave was talking about earlier with our HVAC stuff. Some of you have that gift, and you have, and I thank you. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Now, there are four big ideas in this passage that, I want, that inform our understanding and application of the idea that God has wired each one of us up to serve him in a specific way. First of all, Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. All right? That means two things. Or, you know, he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. It means two things. First of all, we should not envy another person's gift. You know, it's not right for you to go, oh, I wish I had their gift. That's not right. But it also means that we should not get down on ourselves regarding our own gift. Oh, my gift isn't just, it's just not worth very much. God just can't do much. Do you hear yourself? Oh, I just don't have much of a gift. Baloney. You got exactly the one you need because it came from the grace of God. See, understanding that God has wired you up the way he wanted you to be means that your gift is exactly what you need it to be to fulfill God's plan for you. And because of that, you should not envy somebody else's gift or you should not think too, you don't think too lowly of your own, don't think too highly of your own gift either. Paul says here that each of us belongs to all the others. That's the second big idea we have here. What that means is we need each other. (laughs) I mean, here's the point. Chapel Rock and really the capital C church as a whole, but specifically Chapel Rock needs your gift and your temperament. I mean, if you believe that God is sovereign over his church, you have to accept that we have the right mix of gifts and temperaments here to reach God's redemptive potential for us here and for you each individually. I'm I'm, I'm tired of hearing Christian leaders, and I'm not, I'm just, I'll get off my soapbox in just a second, but just go with me for a second. I'm just sick of hearing my peers go, man, if we only had somebody who could. Boy, if we only had a person with this. I am sick to, I want to just grab them by the collar, like, you know, in love, in Jesus' name, and go, what's wrong with you? <laughs> is, is God's word true or not? You've got everything, you, we said last week, you got everything you need for a godly life. You got the gifts you need. Later in the chapter, he'll say, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he sees fit. Paul also says, we've been given gifts from the Spirit according to the grace given each of us. What that means is that your gifts, your temperament, are the expression of God's sovereign grace to you. You have the gift you need. I don't like my gift. Then you need to do a little digging into what God is trying to do in your life, I think. Finally, Paul concludes this section with this repetition of this kind of if this, then that motif. Right? if, if If this is your gift, then do this. If this is your gift, then do this. What that means is that your gift, your temperament is given to you to use. It's not, like, it's not just this deal where you go, oh, okay, cool, I understand that now, and you never think about it again. 
The point is that you're supposed to use this. Remember, Jesus told us that we are the light of the world. We're not supposed to hide that light under a basket. God gave you your gift to use. It's his right to add to it or take away from it or replace it with something else entirely. The point is you need to use your gift. So this week I took the assessments that we have at chapelrock.org slash wired. Here's what it said. Here are my results. So I'll show you mine, okay? So on the temperament uh, gift, it's intellectual. I know you're probably shocked. Um, naturalist and contemplative were tied for second for me. Uh, and not too far off of second place, okay? And then on the gifts, uh, here, here is the results for that. Administrator, so that's the leadership gift. Um, with prophet and giver tied for second. Now, there are a few things there that were not surprising. I, I knew I would get the intellectual temperament. I could tell that as I was taking the test. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's me, that's me, okay. I, I knew um, that when I, when I did the gift list that mercy shower would be last. <laughs> hey, you're on my side, remember that. Um, and I'll tell you why I knew that, because it always has been. I took the very first one of these in 1995 as, as a, so a freshman in Bible college, sophomore. Uh, it was last. It's never changed. I've taken several over the years since 1995. Mercy Shower is always dead last. It is not my gift. I'm thankful that many of you, it is. Um, you know, I, I knew that profit would be first or second because it trades places based on my role in the church. So in my, in my former ministry, I was more of a teaching pastor, and it was number one. Administrator was second because I just didn't, I wasn't in that first chair leader role. Here, that's flipped, and so the, the leadership gift, God, I believe, bumped it up a notch, and maybe was even doing that before I came um, over here, okay? Um, there's a couple surprises there for me. I was surprised how high naturalist was on the list. I don't like bugs. <laughs> I really don't like getting sweaty and gross outside. That's not my... I mean, I, live, I, mean, I, I enjoy living in the city. That's, that's nice. I like the conveniences. I do miss the stars. A lot of light pollution in my neighborhood. And when you move here from rural Illinois, it's a bit of a shift. I was surprised how high that was on the list. Um, I, I, was, I was surprised how high Giver was on the list. I, I, I guess I shouldn't have been, because it's been moving up. When I first took it, when I very first took this back in 1995, Giver was second to last, right above... Mercy. Um, and as my income has risen over the years, God has moved that gift up on the list. God has given me a greater gift. And so last Sunday, when I got into the office and was in front of my computer, the first thing I did before I even ran through the sermon was to go to chapelrock.org slash give and transfer that money for the HVAC system. It gave me so much joy. If you would have told me 20 years ago that I would enjoy doing that, I'd be like, you're crazy. But it's, it's the result of that gift. It's the outworking of that gift. See, your gifts will radically focus the kind of service that you find fulfilling. And they'll determine what you're the most effective at doing. Now, usually your gift and your temperament will complement each other. God, God rarely ever gives the mercy shower gift to the activist or caregiver. It just, it doesn't always, uh, or, or the, rather the, uh, the ascetic, uh, excuse me, activist or ascetic. He, he rarely ever, uh, or, boy, I got that all backwards. He often gives the mercy shower gift to the activist or caregiver, rarely ever gives it to the ascetic. 
Sometimes God has an unusual purpose in mind, though. He wires people up different. And I will tell you that an uncommon pairing probably indicates a unique purpose. Let me give you an example. Um, If Bruce Banner was a really laid-back dude, we would never see the Hulk. Right? (laughs) That would never happen. Because how does he turn into the Hulk? He gets angry. That's kind of his gift. If you saw Avengers, you saw. That's the secret. He's always angry. If, if, If you gave the powers of the Hulk... To Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> You're never going to see the Hulk, except when old man Jones jumps out of the dark with a mask on. Then he, you know. What I'm trying to tell you is that real wholeness is going to be unique to you. You can't just Xerox somebody's version of it. You can't control V, control, control C, control V. It, it, the only you have the specific set of relationships that you're in, and God has wired you up for those. So by this point, some of you are probably wondering, well, which one was Jesus? Which temperament was Jesus? Which gifts did Jesus have? Here's my answer. Yes. When you read the Gospels, I don't care what temperament you are, you need to read the Gospels. You see him engaging in every one of these nine styles. You see him exercising every one of these gifts. He was fully human just like we are. He didn't get any unfair advantage, but I believe because of his sinlessness, he had every spiritual gift, was able to access every temperament. (laughs) So here's my point in all that. Jesus gets you. He gets you. He understands you. He knows where you're coming from, and he has the right to determine where you're going to go. And if you will lean into the way he's wired you up to be, you will receive a level of spiritual uh, fruitfulness and fulfillment like you've never known before. Did you hear me this morning? The pathway that Jesus has wired you up to follow, to take, will be the most spiritually fulfilling means of finding wholeness in Christ. So go after it. If you haven't done it yet, you got a homework assignment today. Go take that assessment. You know, at the bo- look at the bottom of the page. We had some issues with the web stuff. It wasn't always working. So, you know, if it, the click submit thing, it'll tell you the answer. It just won't send it to us. So look at it, okay? And, and start to lean into those. We're going to talk more about how to do that next week. So come back next week. Bring somebody with you, all right? Dig into this stuff because the way God has wired you up will be so fulfilling to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know where to start. I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. This time is for you. If you've not received the Spirit, then you can't do any of the stuff we've just been talking about. You got to start there. So we're going to have a time of response. And if you've never been immersed, if you've never been baptized, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to respond in faith to the offer he's given, then you come as we sing together. Maybe you need someone to pray with you about something going on in your life. Our decision counselors will be down front. We'll have leaders in the next step room. You can go there if you want to talk with a leader about something going on. I'm going to ask you to respond as God is leading you. Maybe this morning it's, it's a simple decision to walk out of here and go, man, I really need to get plugged in with the way God wired me up. I'm going to, I don't know what your need is. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and you respond as God leads you.